Welcome to 80s Music Exposed, the podcast in which we review all the best albums of the 80s, one month at a time. We will break them down, give you the skinny, and duke it out over whether you should or should not dig these back out again. If you are ready for an 80s music deep dive, from Public Enemy to Wham, Eno to XTC, Madonna, hair metal, reggae, and all points in between, then crank the boombox, turn the Walkman up to 10, and oh, let's go. Now, from the kitchen, Chris and Henry. Welcome to 80s Music Exposed. This is Henry. And I'm Chris. And this this is October of 1981. We're it slowly is. marching through. To, we're going to be at the other end of 1981 before you know it. Yeah, I'm already getting excited about the year-end episode where we get to do some stuff with favorite records. So, so I mean, like, this song, this this particular episode seems a little, I don't know, intense. Does that possibly? Yeah, it's it's another one of those, Henry, where I, I went into it thinking this is not going to be one that I'm, I'm like, super, uh, you know, excited about. There's a couple records that are huge, but... But I, I came out of it going. There's a lot of juicy stuff to talk about. I'm and this excited particular about this. one, like yeah. some of them is kind of, some of them is kind of light and airy. But this particular one seemed a little loaded to me. I don't know yes. if you felt that way yes. at all. I think so. So uh, let's get started. We'll just do our plugs at the top like we always do, right? Sure. I think we should on this one. If you like our show, if you like the records we're choosing, please rate and review us on iTunes. It really helps us out a lot. You can also listen on Spotify and Stitcher, and please share it with your friends. You can chat us up on Twitter at 80s Exposed, 80s E-X-P-O-S-E-D, or 80s Music Exposed at gmail.com. If you want to follow either one of us on Twitter, my Twitter handle is at T-C-I Duke, and Henry's is at Hank G, and that's G-E-E. Henry, we picked the records by the rags method. Um, let's not go into it in this episode. We did last episode. If you want to know what the rags method stands for, you can check out the last episode. But we yep. will announce it at the end of, or when we in- introduce each record, we'll tell you how it fits into the rags method. So don't yep. worry. You'll be fine. It's not that difficult. Don't. Just calm down. Calm down, listeners. <laughs> calm down. Just You'll get what you need. Okay? Yeah, yeah. Okay? We're going to take care of you. Right. It's going to be fine. Henry, let's talk about some significant events that happened in the month of October of 1981, just to get people's appetite wetted. Is wetted a word? Wetted. Wet. Let's wet some appetites. Wheat thins. (laughs) Wetted for wheat thins. I like how you can just throw a little wisp, lisp, ooh, a little lisp on. Henry, did you know that on October 9th of 1981, France abolished capital punishment? Good Lord, those French. They're always ahead of the curve. I mean, 40 years ago, these dudes abolished the death. Did it come back? No, no, no. That, so that there's no capital gone. punishment in France. That's right. If you want to murder somebody, I would, France is probably where I would do. That's a terrible thing to say. Guess what happened on October the 22nd, though? What happened? One. The U.S. national debt topped $1 trillion. That's a lot of money, Henry. Isn't it? What would it be? Like, what is the national debt today? $23 trillion. Holy <laughs> For yeah. real? Is that number right? Yes, yeah, the number. That's a right number. God, you, you looked this up. I did. God almighty knows. Holy. That's crazy. Holy shit. And $23 we thought, trillion? We thought we were in debt back then. Holy Crikey. crap. <laughs> 
Henry, I, I put this one in here because it was a, a significant event to me, but it's also going to be significant later in the episode, so we'll come back to this one too. Okay. But on October 11th, Prince opened for the Rolling Stones at the L.A. Coliseum. Now, I thought that was a weird pairing. When I read that, I was like, I don't remember having heard that. Prince opening for the Rolling Stones, and I was thinking in my head, like, what I know of Rolling Stones crowds, like mm-hmm. these Steel Wheels era crowd, and I'm like, I don't know if Prince would be a good opener cold for that. And guess what? I found this little story. What? You, you want to? Why don't you? I, I wrote it down. Why don't you read? Okay. This is from Doctor uh, Doctor Z, uh, the Fink guy. Do you remember him, Henry, in the Revolution? I, I do. Or I, a he doctor's was, he, outfit. Yeah. In fact, I was looking at the video before I came over here because I wanted to hear um, the song. You know, one of the songs we're gonna. Listen to, and I saw him back at the back. In, in my mind, he wore the mask over his face, but I don't he think did. he did. He just he wore did. it on his chest, right? He did. Maybe a stethoscope. He did. It hung down. Okay, but this but, is his story. So, so we went on when the sun. I, I, I'm quoting him. You're we quoting went him. on when the sun was still up. I think we hit the stage around six or seven at night. Recalled bandmate Matt Fink, Doctor Fink, in Touré's book, "I Will Die for You." We get on stage, and within two minutes of the first song, the audience, which was a hardcore hippie crowd, they took one look at Prince and went, what the heck is this? And he started booing, flipping us the bird. And they were throwing whatever they could get their hands on. A crumpled up Coca-Cola can? I saw a fifth of Jack Daniels whiz, whiz by Prince's face. There's, now, now they, I never would have thought that. What I like about this story is even Prince got fucking heckled when nobody knew who he was. Prince. It was like gold standard. But um, I researched a little bit further into this incident, Henry. He walked off the stage. Oh, he quit. He quit. And only um, because Mick Jagger talked him back, he did two more shows in New York. Mm-hmm. And still went the same way, and he said, "Fuck it, I'm done with this. I, I don't open for people that, uh, you know, I get shit thrown at me." I like how even then, when he wasn't really well, well known, mm-hmm. he still was like, "I'm too big for this this kind of bullshit." But then I was thinking about this was 1981. He already had four albums out. It wasn't like he was completely unknown. Well, and he had hits too. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about it. One of his albums I mean, is on this, dirt, this episode. We've already reviewed Dirty Mind, right? So Dirty Mind is already it's out. Already out. Yeah, so I was pretty shocked by that whole story. We'll, we'll get to it again. Henry, what's another significant event? From, so uh, professional cheerleader, Crazy George Henderson. Is that prof- – Is that? do you have to put something like that in front of your name if you're – Crazy? Gonna, if you're a, a professional cheerleader? Crazy I, George. I, I, this is really weird. Like, So there's such a thing as a professional cheerleader? <laughs> well, gonna, if you're not on the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders, is there such a thing as a professional cheerleader? I don't, I don't know. And he's a dude. And he's named Crazy. Anyway. He leads what is thought to be the first audience wave. In Oakland, California. So I didn't know the, I didn't know the origin of the wave. Have you ever done the wave, Henry? Yeah, if, if, we did it when we were kids at the Hornets, Charlotte Hornets games. That's right. All the way back in 1988 and 89. So yeah. kind of, kind of shocked me that the wave was invented by Crazy George in the early 80s. But thank you, Crazy George. But I'm going to look into the, the, the history of professional cheer, <laughs> professional male cheerleading. Look into that and get back to us. But I bet he was a clown or something. He probably was. Henry, why don't we do what we came here to do, though, and talk about the albums from October of 1981? I'd be delighted. <laughs> All right. The first one we're going to talk about is by Prince, who we just talked about a second ago. The album is called Controversy. It was a Rolling Stone five-star fucking album, and he got shit thrown at him before a Rolling Stones concert. You Rolling Stones fans. But the, uh, anyway, the song we're going to play is called Do Me Baby. 
That song, Do Me Baby, right? Weirdly enough, I was listening to that as as I was dropping my daughter off, like doing my homework. And for some reason, that song made me really uncomfortable. I can see that. Why? Well, first, I looked, and he didn't write that one. Like, it's the only song on the record he didn't write. And I think I'm used to Prince being a different way. (laughs) It's weird that you picked that song. You know? Yeah, it's one of my favorites, but I think it, it, it even made me uncomfortable in the car. Is there I, a reason why? Well, at the end of it, it sounds like he's coming, <laughs> Is that it? which I don't think I would want to listen to with my child. But I was even on my way to work going. I, in my head, I was re- remembering or thinking about what it would be like to record that vocal in a studio. So right. you're standing there with the engineer and everything around, and you're sitting going, oh, oh yeah, right there, baby. You know, like, <laughs> it was pretty kind of, you know, I was like, wow, I... So yeah, I can see with your with your daughter, you were probably like. Well, it just made me feel. I think it, there's something about that particular song. What was her reaction to "Do Me, Baby"? She didn't care. She, didn't well, care she at had all. her ear. Her <laughs> she, had her ear she has no tolerance for. Her. Excellent. Like, she will say, "Why are we listening to Merle Haggard?" Right. And I'll be like, <laughs> I'll be like, it's I'm, it's research, baby. It's well, research. Uh, but the turnaround on this record was so fast, it seems, because it seems like just the other day I was into Dirty Mind, and so. This this, this, yes. this one. So, good Lord. This is his fourth album. Yep. Uh, it was recorded at Sunset Sound. So, this was before Paisley Park, which you visited, right? So, that doesn't come along until like 1987. Yes. And we've got, we still have one more record. This is controversy. We've got another record, uh, 1999, that we've got to listen to. And then right after that will be purple rain right so you can start to see the trajectory here yes right yes if you look at a modern so i i know we try not to do this a lot henry we try not to look at um the way the record is thought of now as much as the way it was thought of then Mm -hmm. but i couldn't help with this one thinking for where we are with uh, popular music now controversy and dirty mind to me i would think if i was a young person who didn't live through prince Mm -hmm. are more emblematic of what the 80s sound like and what people are copying now than maybe Purple Rain. 
because this record and Dirty Mind both made me think, you know, the way he's using that gated drum, Mm -hmm. electronic drum sound that no one was using yet, which people use now all the time. He's trying to do R&B and funk, but mix it heavily with like new wave and punk, which I think, which we forget, he was immersed in the Minneapolis scene. He wasn't, he wasn't deaf to replacements. And I mean, he knew about all the bands that were doing punk, Husker Du. He wasn't like, I don't like that stuff. He was trying to meld all of that with what he was doing. I personally think Purple Rain, you know, we lived through Purple Rain. Right. So it's, it's ubiquitous. But I, listening back now, I was like, you know, controversy sounds a lot like what a lot of indie bands I listen to now are trying to do. They do. But like, um, I would say that it was a step in, in a more traditional direction. Wouldn't you say? Like, yes. a Dirty Mind was his underground record. This one was, the same, a little more cleaned up. Yeah, that was a right? point I wanted to make. I, I And I know we can compare and contrast the two because they're so fresh. To me, Dirty Mind, he had one concept. I'm going to talk about the world will get better if we all just fuck a lot. Right. And fucking is the answer to everything. And weirdly, sticking to that one point, I think, makes Dirty Mind work better than controversy. Controversy, I felt like he's like, okay, I'm going to talk about Ronald Reagan a little bit, or I'm going to talk politics a little bit, and I'm going to yeah. talk about there's a war, stop the, you know, like, he's doing all this stuff, which is good, but I'm like, man, I think, like, Do Me Baby's the best song on this. <laughs> you need to just get back to the sex stuff. I get it, but uh, for me, I, I see it from a different perspective, although I really like Dirty Mind, and I think I like it more personally from an artistic place. I think this was a definitely like a step in the right direction, bringing more current events in with that to make a more commercial. It's interesting. Album, to, it's right? interesting to me. I like looking at progression. I think something that me and you get to do with this show is like, yeah. like we've, we've analyzed the progression of Phil Collins from uh face value yep. all the way through what we know is coming, which we hate. I would tell you, the interesting thing for me with the Prince catalog is I feel like you if you switched Controversy and Dirty Minds, it would sound more like a logical progression to me to 1999 and then Purple Rain. Mm-hmm. I feel like, to me, interesting. Controversy should have come before Dirty Minds because then Dirty Minds, he's revving up to the sex party, which is 1999. Um, but – but th- I mean, think about the lyrics in controversy. Am I straight or gay? I mean, that's pretty. There's ballsy, a lot of yeah. Right? Like for me to say this doesn't have sexual uh, <laughs> issues going on is is yeah. So is, I, I mean, and I think he prefigured our modern take on uh, sexuality. Um, think about he it was a, I think he was a cultural stepping stone for the world. Yes. Along those lines of like um, sexual expression. Well, we're right on the cusp too, Henry. If you think about it, and I think um, it's stark to me. We're right on the. This is the time period, the early '80s, when the Marvin Gaye um, sexuality of the '70s. He's the sex god of the '70s. Mm-hmm. Is ebbing, and there's a new guy coming forward, which is Prince, and he's taking it to a whole different. Uh, uh, you know. Uh, Marvin Gaye was very masculine. Mm-hmm. Like Marvin Gaye was not ambiguously mm-hmm. uh, he wasn't androgynous. The yeah. new, but the new 1980s uh, Prince is like openly androgynous, playing up to the whole 
I don't, you don't know if I'm gay or straight, and I'm not going to tell you if I'm gay or straight, and I don't care if you think I'm gay or straight, which kind of played into Henry Watt, this Rolling Stones thing I mentioned in the significant events. I think a large part of that was not just they didn't know who Prince was and they, they were ready to watch the Rolling Stones. I think there was a large element of homophobia there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was neat that Prince, like you say, predate, he was facing those issues head on. When in actuality, if you, I, I don't know how you feel, but I kind of laugh now because now, when Prince died, I thought of him as one of the most heterosexual people I've ever. <laughs> well, he, because he's just like, yeah, he dressed in high heels and stuff, but that dude, you know, had, had a lot of relationships <laughs> he, as far as we knew with women. That we know, yeah. So, but but in the eighties, he was pretty much doing the androgyny thing. I guess it was him and Bowie were the only two doing that kind of thing. It, it's it's really strange to me because uh, I, I feel like the threads of that really did. I mean, this goes back to Little Richard, right? Right. That kind of presentation did happen. Yes. And and people didn't throw. I mean, I guess maybe people threw stuff at Little Richard. I don't know. Here in 2020, I can say that the rules are shearing down like crazy. Right. You know. Our our ideas of of gender and sexuality are are now that I think they make for a hap, for happier people, right? You know, on on the whole. So anyway, I, I'm trying to beatify him in some way, but I think that he was definitely a stepping stone in that direction, like you said. Yeah, and I want to say for me, this is I, I sound like I'm not a big fan of this record because I like Dirty Minds better, but. I think this is a great record in a run of great records. He's on, he's gonna he's in a four record cycle, five record cycle here where he's mm. kicking ass. What do you? I don't think anybody who listens to these things objectively can yeah. like say, ah, oh, this is the the sucky Prince record. No, I'm gonna I'm going to recommend but, this record. Yeah, it's it's a great. What did you record. think? What did you think of that song, Annie Christian? I really liked it. I yeah. mean, I thought it was art rock. Weirdly enough, it wasn't as pop as I expected it. Like. But don't you find that on some of these Prince records that you're not as familiar with? Like Purple Rain, you don't know what you think about it because it's just like in your brain. Right. It's But there's a lot more art rock in Prince than you think. Right. I mean, and a lot of people think, at least post-punk rock dudes, when they do keyboards, they like to go dark, right? Yes. There's something about that Prince uses the whole spectrum. Yes, and I don't want to say – I want to walk a fine line here because I, I don't want to say anything that could be construed as being racially. But uh-huh. a lot of people perceive – you know, most most African-American people like Prince. Mm-hmm. But I'm listening to controversy going, if this wasn't Prince, I don't know a lot of black people that I know that would think, oh, I love this record. Because it sounds to me like – Art rock, like 80s art rock. Right. It sounds closer to what like white kids were listening to. Do you to. think somehow this fucking But guy, it was. It is. He it's used crazy. the whole spectrum of the keyboard without sounding corny or stupid. Right. I don't know how anybody pulls that off. I think it really, this is about context. Right. And a lot of that, it's very important in music to see things in context. If you right. pull things out, and we'll see this with other records, I think, maybe. You could pull out songs and, and consider them on their own, and they mean one thing. But you put them in the context of a whole body of work, they can mean something kind of different. Completely different. Right? Yes. I thought that that song, Jack You Off, if I considered it like on its own, out of context to the rest of the record, I might think, eh, that's kind of silly. Right. Right. 
Um, even you saying that title, like you're talking about a serious, you're seriously breaking down something. You're like, you know, the song jack you off. <laughs> right. You know, you're like, if someone had never heard controversy and they're listening to you, they're like, what? but, but if you listen to the, to it in context, the vibe is right. Brings you right there. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, it, he wasn't just a singles. No. Right. A guy, he made albums. Oh from yes. Beginning to end. Yes. So anyway, are you going to recommend this one? Yeah, you are. Cool. Thumbs up. Me too. Um, Henry, tell us what the next record is. The next record is Human League, Dare. And how did we get to this record, Henry? This is a Rolling Stone uh, all music five star. Yeah, this is a double whammy record. Double whammy. People really liked this one. Yep. Okay. What song are we listening to? We're going to listen to Not the One You Want to Hear. (laughs) It's the one I want to hear. I chose it. (laughs) Love Action. So, Henry, th- this is one of those records, um, to me, we-, we come across these sometimes where I'm, like, enamored with the story of the band up to this point as much as I am with the record. I just want to go real quickly on record as saying I'm not a big fan of this record. Did you was- listen to the other two? The the ones before it. The two, This is their third. So yes. They, they had two other ones. All the press says it was more underground than this one. Yes. I didn't listen to either one of them, and I'll tell you why. Wow. Um, so I'm reading this story, and I'm going, oh, I'm going to have to listen to these other two records because this is something I like to do. Mm-hmm. And then I started reading the story. So basically, you got two guys, two synth guys. They start a band, right? Well, They're synth nerds um, ahead of their time. They can't sing. So they start working on records. Um, somehow they get a record deal and they don't have a good singer. So they, they, they find a singer, um, who doesn't know anything about synths. In fact, he doesn't know anything about synths. They put him on their record. Now, this is a great story because Henry, this is one of these classic stories where a mm-hmm. record company owns a fucking band. Right. So they put out a record, no singles, no hits. And the record company treats him like a cheap whore and is like telling you boys. You, I need a hit. I mean, mm-hmm. this shit is not going. They put out a second record, shit they want to do. No hits. At this point, they're treating them like a straight-up pimp. I need a fucking single. We're not letting you do another album. You owe me a ton of money for these mm-hmm. first two records. You better give me a single. Okay. Singer guys, like, I don't know how to play anything or anything, but I, I we definitely got to do some more, something that sounds pop. Synth guys, what are we doing? Yeah. And they're both like, fuck you, we're artists. And he's like, well, fuck you, we got to pay these guys back. <laughs> so they split. They split. Okay? okay. And the other two guys become this other band. 
did you read this? They, so they, so the singer guy does what he's going to do, which we'll, we'll get to in a second. Uh-huh. But his producer guy's like, let's, let's go to the same studio. They can't even go in the same studio because they are getting in physical confrontations with each other. The two halves of the band? Yeah. Now, think about this, Henry. This is not um, the Rolling Stones getting in fights with um, the Beatles or this is or Metallica getting in a fight with Megadeth. This is the Human League guys getting in the fight with the Heaven 17. Can you imagine what that fight looked like? <laughs> I, I would love to see it. Yeah, it's like a slap it's like fight. A, yeah, it's like a. <laughs> this is not what I imagined. So they had to move to a different studio to get going. Right. So the guys sing. The singer guy's name is Philip Oakley. Okay. Philip Oakley. Oakley is like I don't know how to play anything. I literally don't how to play an instrument. One guy went with him. He wasn't the main guy. He was just a guy that went on tour with them. Kind of did backup third synth, whatever that is. They write a song that's not on this record, but they let the record company release it as a single, mm-hmm. and it does okay. And they give it's like like a pimp again. He's like, let's see what else you got. So then he goes and recruits these two chicks out of a high school that he found in a dance club. <laughs> what? Yep, he goes to a dance club in London looking for a backup singer. Finds two chicks he thinks are hot dancing together. Asks them if they're interested. Turns out they're in high school. They're seventeen years old, but they are interested, and they become the Human League. So he also is smart enough to recruit a couple more really top keyboard players to make this record. Uh-huh. As they're making the record, Henry, they're getting better at what they're doing, but they don't have the time to wait because the record company's on their shit. Uh-huh. So they make the whole record front to back. This is my problem with the record. You can hear the songs that were made later than the ones that were made at the beginning because they know what they're doing and they're starting to sequence better and they're starting to do the keyboards better. The song we just played, to me, is way more sophisticated than two or three of the songs at the first half of the album where huh. it sounds like they're just not figuring out. So I I don't don't like this record, and I know this is a very influential record. I don't like that it's uneven. It sounds like a very uneven record to me. The second half sounds way more mature and it's because he brought in people now i i got to admire this guy this guy reminds me of what what happened to us in our own little local (laughs) we got kicked out of a band with all the big time musician guys and we said fuck you we'll stick it right up your eyes stick it it right up your butt and we go and god bless philip oakley he did stick it up their butt because they came out with a song that now is one of the 80s all-timers right he's probably still making money and he doesn't sing in tune Nope. <laughs> He's out of tune all the time. Right. Think about it. He is. It, yes. I mean, this is supposed to, his voice is supposed to make him post-punk 80s. Right. But he turned down a record that is kind of not that. He Wouldn't was, you agree that it's not a post-punk, this is like of its time. Of its time and a pop record. He's trying to please the overlords and make some hits. So I read that they differed in that this was the... The age old, you know, do we go pop? Do we stay underground? You know, mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. And having seventeen guys, we're gonna go more art, more art conceptual. And I don't know this to be true because I didn't listen to Heaven Seventeen. You have to fill me in on that. Okay. And um, but that was my thought too. Yeah, they're like we're staying true to ourselves. But but he wanted to pull in more traditional pop elements. He wanted to pay the record company. Yeah, he wanted to get get some make some dough, man. He needed to make some dough. How about that? Yeah. And and obviously it worked, like you said. Uh, The Don't You Want Me is like 
I mean, this is one of those bands, Henry, that I'm usually yeah. like snobby about and like they're mm-hmm. a throwaway band. But then I'm like, this guy, you talk about, you, you got to give him some huspa. He doesn't even know how to play an instrument. He gets left by the band. He's like, fuck it. I'll, we, I'll figure this out. Uh-huh. And weirdly enough, this album, or the song, the single, okay, Don't You Want Me, was one that my cousin Tanya had, right? She is the one that I credit for introducing me to music that is not like my dad's folk Okay, so this you records. didn't have a big brother like I did, so you had right. Tanya. Well, Tanya wasn't, well, she wasn't that, but she was the person that said, hey, here's Joan Jett's I Want Rock and Roll. And here's a record by Human League. It wasn't like anything that I'd heard. Right. For whatever reason, I lived with my parents, like, and just listened to whatever they listened to. Right. Which was some 60s bullshit or whatever. 60s or 70s stuff. Guy Rockson. Yeah, exactly. That kind of shit. And so this was my first look at a world outside of that, which was really, at the time, was, was very important. Yes, this is like on the last episode, my Depeche Mode speaking spell. Just like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, what is this? Right. You know? I mean, I may have developed an an opinion of Human League later based on other things that I heard, but that was my first taste of something. And so you you can't just ignore that. No. You can't dismiss Human League straight up as being, you know... Well, sappy or pappy or whatever. Did you find this, Henry? Because, you know, I think we both have the same. We we approached it from a, yeah, we you, you have a fond memory of it as right. a kid. But now you're like, this is kind of light. Fair. Objective. Yeah. But looking at my yeah. research, there's a lot of people that, that like artists we like that think this was a, a big record. So right. I, I was I was shocked that people really dig it. Yeah, weirdly enough. And so yeah, she had this is one of the two things that she let me listen to. Joan Jett's I Want Rock and Roll and that and she, and right. and then and she took me to like I love rock and roll, uh, by the way. Let's we'll get a I'm tweet sorry. about that. Yeah. I lo- sorry. Yes. Yeah. Don't tweet me. It's it is I love rock and roll. Yeah. You can't uh, diminish somebody who was the guy to break yeah, to right. break through and be that. And inter- interestingly enough, he didn't like that song. That's he weird. thought it was a throwaway. It was the pimp record company that was like, this is a good one. We got to put this one out. I was expecting to hear Fascination for right. some reason. All the songs, I didn't differentiate like you did with the whole, with you could tell the difference. I, for some reason, I couldn't. And Even I think in, I'm just distracted because I have. A strong emotional connection right. to that sound. Well, you know, even right? his um, even his lyrics get better as the you get further along in the record. Yeah. So, so I've put I, I've objectively kind of put him in a th- yeah. It's sort of in that box that you put Journey in sometimes, yes. which is like I know it's not the greatest thing in the world, but it right. means something to me, right? Yeah, so, so and I and I Henry, of course, was the story got me so much more than the record. I was like. I want to see what the artists who stay true to their uh, selves did with this Heaven 17, which I really never listened to Heaven 17. Do tell. What happened? That record. I, I want to apologize right now to Heaven 17. We should be covering Heaven 17. This record blew me away. It is way better than this dare record. Really? <laughs> For real? But it's not even since, really. It's um, the first half. So the record is broken to two halves. I can't remember. It's called something like... Uh, 
I don't want to misquote. It's called something like Pride and Prejudice. And the first half is Pride and the second half is Prejudice. And it's like two different styles. The first half, I don't know who the bass player is on. He is fucking amazing. It's a bass. It's like funky. And um, a band that we love just covered one of their songs on a live record. And I didn't even know it was their song called um, something about fascist groove thing. Um, LCD Sound System just did it on their live record. I don't no know if shit. you heard this. Yeah, we don't need your fascist group thing. Oh, that's that's that's, that's, that's the lead song on this. Okay, record. I've heard this. These guys are political. These guys are groovy and funky, and it's like a dance record. I'm like, I can't believe how good this Heaven Seventeen record was. Now I have to say, and Henry, we've done this before with other bands. Sometimes when I hear a name of a band, I instantly judge them, and I don't want to even hear it because of that. They were one of those bands like <laughs> I don't want to hear anything called Heaven Seventeen. <laughs> um, I always thought of that that song Heaven on the Seventh Floor, which I hated as a kid. I can't. I always think about Belinda Carlisle or something. Well, anyway, listen anyway. to this first Heaven Seventeen record. and Let me know what you think. I love it a lot more than Dare, and it's not what you think. It's not just like I was expecting like a synth, just a two synth attack, like. Lou Reed, uh, um, what was the feedback record Lou Reed did? The, um, oh, uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Heavy metal, mu- you know, heavy metal machinery. Metal record. machine. I thought it was going to be something like, or a Brian Eno record where it's just like all synths all the time. No, no. I think it should have been bigger than this Dare record. All right, all you Human League fans <laughs> that are going to find us on the tags on this pod. Just crush me on come, that. You come and talk to us about Heaven 17. I'm loving it. i got to gotta hear from you about that. So this will be my first episode, Henry, where I ever – I do not recommend Dare. I'm going to recommend the Heaven 17 record, a record <laughs> we're not even covering. <laughs> Weirdly enough, I, I have moderate feelings for the album on the whole. I, I, I'm not o- overtly impressed. I thought it was solid. I thought it had a lot of style and was kind of moderately sophisticated um, as an album. Right. Um, and that single is undeniable. I mean, it's, yeah. it's part of what we... And, but it's like, you know, it's a standard bearer of its time. Yes. You, you know? And so you have to give it that. It, uh, right. I don't find it to be like a hidden gem. Yes. You know? No. Or anything like that. So I'm not going to give it, you know, give it the full push, but... Uh, but uh, it's a respected place on the shelf, right? right? So, and just just for clarity and just for it to be accurate, that record is called Penthouse and Pavement, not Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> Penthouse and Pavement. Penthouse and Pavement. The first half is Penthouse songs. The second half is Pavement songs. Awesome. awesome, Chris. What's our next record? Our next record, Henry, is going to be Freeze Frame by the Jay Giles Band, and the song we're going to play is Centerfold. Never 
Okay, we've established that night October of 1981 is when I start waking up a little bit. Okay. This was probably in that same vein. Yes. Freeze frame. Centerfold. And centerfold. Those are two big, hit it out of the park, whacks of the bat that they became cultural things. Yes. Right? I can't tell why freeze frame was popular, really. Uh, it was, all right, you had swinging horns, right, with that 50s, like, doo-wop, bebop sound. So I'm thinking Huey, like, Huey Lewis, right? That's uh, interesting. That's an interesting point, because I, that's in my notes, too. I feel like there's, this is a Huey Lewis album with synthesizers. <laughs> Centerfold was also catchy as hell. Like, that's, you know, that's what. But the horns, you're right. The horns are Huey, that's where you're, that's. So it turns out. That these are right, so one one thread that you're seeing in this particular set of albums. This is the is this the last one, the last album, the last album we're considering. Is there one more? Oh no, there's there's uh, two more, two more. After oh this. yeah. So you'll see bands that are musicians that are on a trajectory up. Prince his fourth album. This, these guys, this is their tenth record. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. so it's I like think that's problematic. So. <laughs> I think what we're picking up, I didn't give a shit about any of their other work at all. Nope. Like, I went back and listened to their supposed hits. Like, they had top 40 blues. They were a blues rock band. That's a problem. That's a problem for me. <laughs> <laughs> and so they they didn't have this in their DNA. So, and somehow you fucking know. So I don't like, despite the fact that you've got a freeze frame and a centerfold. Okay, it uh, does. It doesn't work. Okay, the first thing right? that shocked me about freeze frame and centerfold is I instantly went to look who wrote freeze frame and centerfold because the rest of the songs on this record weren't wrote by the same fucking guy. They were. They they were. The keyboard player guy wrote most of these songs. Oh, now really? he didn't write the lyrics. Like they brought in the ringer Peter Wolf, who wrote in wrote most of the lyrics. But right. Um. Man, by the way, he wasn't Jay Giles. The singer was not named Jay Giles. Everybody said, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go. That was That's pretty fucked up. Yeah, but um, okay. so to me, and I know you don't feel quite as bad as I do, the other songs are not even close to Freeze Frame and Centerfold. Now, what's problematic to me about this being their 10th record is this is their fucking, this is as good as it was getting for Jay Giles' band writing-wise, mm-hmm. and this is a shit record. From start to finish, it's bad except for those two songs. Wait, wait. Now, now do, that song about the river was good. Crap. Now, come on. That they were trying on that one. They, I felt like they were trying on all of them. Now, here's the other problem I have, Henry. There's what? a subgenre of bands in the mid '80s, which were like these '70s holdover bands that were God love them. They saw they saw the writing on the wall. Jay Giles band decided to put in this little. Uh, um, uh, Elvis Costello sounding keyboards, you know, the, the high endy keyboard. Uh-huh. But there's still a fucking bar band. They're a blues bar band. You can hear that in every song underneath, except maybe. You know fun. why? You know why that is. I know why. Why is that? They always feel like they've got to squeeze that damn harmonica in there somewhere. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a 70s thing. They, they got to do it. They a- got Eddie it. Money. Eddie we, Money we, does hey, that. It's like they're saying, okay. We're going to do an 80s record, but we don't let them forget where our roots are. Uh, Greg Kinban, same kind oh, of thing. Oh, shit. Same kind of thing. Uh, Huey Lewis took it to a fucking art form pretty much a, a little bit later. I agree with you. I heard a lot of Huey Lewis mm-hmm. in this. Um, 
But to me, it was just a total throwaway. Now, something that I, I wanted to ask your opinion of, we have to factor in the MTV factor now and going forward. Freeze Frame was all over MTV because MTV didn't have a lot of videos at the time, and they were smart enough but to do a video. But I don't remember the video. Well, but what I'm saying is I don't know that it would have become as ubiquitous on the radio if it was not all over MTV. Did MTV make Freeze Frame, or was Freeze Frame actually a good song? I don't know that me and you know anymore because it. we don't know what – we can't hear Freeze Frame with fresh ears anymore. Right, but it definitely sounds more produced than some of the schlock on this record. Even when it starts with the camera clicks and shit centerfold, like they didn't put any of that kind of shit on any of the other songs. They just start in with a harmonica or a fucking dumb, like a dumb. <laughs> I don't know. The, I, the record's really dumb. I it's really dumb like record. that river song. I wish, like, it's like, man, but even if I can see the river to the whole rest of the record, dumb. Why would you call your band Jay Giles? Well, Jay Giles was like He's the like, leader of the band, but he wasn't the he wasn't ever the singer. So they quit for a while, and then they did. They got reunited, and they re- reunited without Jay Giles. Himself. Yeah, they just they just like they didn't. Need but it was still the Jay Giles. <laughs> they really needed Peter Wolf, not Jay Giles. Yeah, I'm not recommending this. I don't even like talking much about this record. Everyone knows those two songs, and I think the rest of it just kind of crap. Do you remember Love Stinks? Oh yeah. That Did song you like, stinks. No. I mean, the only reason I even never heard that song was it was on that stupid Adam Sandler movie. No, I remember that when I was a kid. I don't. I remember it being one of those songs that was kind of like close to a joke song. Like, you know how... Remember that band, Presidents of the United States? Okay, yeah. So there's this thread, this off-putting thread of goofiness with this band. Yep, goofiness mixed with a blues bar band, which is horrible. All right. <laughs> it's a horrible mix. Thumbs down for both. <laughs> Oh, Henry, what's the next record we're going to talk about? Oh, guess what we get to talk about? Thank God. <laughs> the Police. Oh, thank you. Ghost in the Machine. Rolling Stone, five album review. It doesn't, whatever, what is, what's SWL? I can, Shit we like. Shit we like. <laughs> you think you're going to get a biased review of this motherfucking thing? <laughs> but it, buckle up. Buckle up, bitches. It's, we're going to play Spirits in the Material World.
right, Henry. So I'm 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 going to start. We, we both, I think, come from a place, and I know I know you've got an actual story about this, but we both come from a place where this record hit us both at the age we were at. This was one of our big records as kids. Like it made me feel cool. It made me feel like avant garde. Holy shit! You know, I'm I'm on to something here. So this was a big record for me. I know it was for you, right? Yeah. Um, it, um, as a child, I think it was the mystery, right? It was, it was, they were a mysterious band to me, mm-hmm. mysterious and cool and removed. Right. And, um, when in actuality, they weren't any of those things. We just didn't know enough about music yet. No. They were but, like our entryway to that. Yeah. It was like you could, you could look at them and like wide eyed wonder like this and Sting had that English accent. And, and obviously <laughs> they're talking about shit that's like way above my thing. Maybe I can be smart like that. Right. You know, right. Those, those things are, are course through your mind as a young person. Right. When you see it, when you see, Cool yoga fucking sting, you know, hanging out with his, with his bandmates and dancing and. Oh yeah. You know, uh, you remember the videos? Oh yeah. The one where they're like in the Caribbean, but they're like dancing around with changing hats with each other. Yeah. You're like, these guys are cool as uh-huh. shit. Mm-hmm. But did that, so I guess did that kind of, um, influence your review of this record? Like if you stepped back, I, at least for me, if I step back, I think. I couldn't come up with a reason why this is not worse than Synchronicity, because Synchronicity is a better record. You're not supposed to even know about it yet. Well, but I'm saying... Seriously, you know what I mean? Even now, this is my favorite record. (laughs) And it shouldn't be, right? I mean, not not technically, no. But this record came about at the sweet spot of our life. Yes, this is my... Yes, this is my favorite police record, even though it shouldn't be. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And I mean, this goes to this this thing I keep positing that we don't like records for some of the reasons we think we like them sometimes, or even if we're supposed to. Or, yeah, like it's not there are things about it that aren't objectively good. They're good in a you know for emotional reasons, or right, for, and that's, or for placeholders, and you like holidays. And that's what I hope with our with our listening audience we get to too uh, sometimes as well. Maybe a song just. It, you, it makes you remember the smell of a right. uh, of a room you were in. Yeah, in yeah. And you can't account for that exactly, objectively. Man. Like bookmarks in your life. You know, right. you, you remember where you were at this time, what these kinds of feelings you had, you know. Right. They were very delicate and unformed and full of, like, wonder. The world was, you know, a mysterious, interesting right. place. Well, I what I did, Henry, too, I tried to – so I, I took that as my starting point. Mm-hmm. This is my favorite police record, but it shouldn't be. So I'm going to drill down and see if I can figure out, you know, some nuts and bolts here. First of all, I I didn't know this until we started doing research. This record was not produced by, but engineered by a guy named Hugh Padham. I hope I'm saying his name wrong. But um, Hugh Padham is credited with Phil Collins and Peter Gabriel. And and I know how you hate how I always tie everything back to Phil Collins. Everything has some sort of Phil Collins connection. Yeah, yes. Well, it just does. Okay. the three of them invented that 80s gated drum sound, the famous in the air tonight drum sound. Let me tell you a few people that Hugh Padham has worked with that I found out. I'm just going to name a few. David Bowie, Kate Bush, Phil Collins, Suzanne Vega, Cheryl Crow, The Fix, Peter Gabriel, Genesis, Hall & Oates, The Human League, Elton John, Madness, Paul McCartney, Mike and the Mechanics, The Psychedelic First, Split Ends, Sting, The Waitresses, Brian Wilson, XTC, Yes, and Frank Zappa. Damn. 
So I'm sitting there going, okay, this guy's done all what what so what happened here was, which is interesting, Sting went to Hugh Padham on his own, brought Hugh Padham in to work on this record. Right. Sting had a definite agenda. Sting decided to bring in synthesizers and horns along with Hugh Padham. Obviously, they wanted to pop it up a bit. They wanted to change the police's sound to a more um I don't know, at the time we don't have indie pop, but definitely a more popular sound. Mm-hmm. I thought the, I loved it. I, I mean, we've talked about how much we loved it. I thought that they were just growing. I didn't realize till doing my research, Andy Summers did not like that shit. He huh. liked the way the police were before. He thought they were much more interesting. Right. Um, of course, Stuart Copeland didn't like it because it was Sting's idea was the only reason he didn't like it. But all of that was kind of Sting and Hugh Padham kind of changing it. Now, I know you said to me, we, we, briefly talked about this before that there's a definite first half of this record and a second half of this record whereas the first half is a lot of sting songs yeah. maybe or it sounds like pop sting songs and then the back half he's like okay they're all, all right, yelling now. at me when we've been fist fighting yeah. okay we'll do some we'll, of your we'll do. Yeah. That, did you you got that feeling? throw you a bone right i'm gonna throw you a bone here on side b right is what it felt like and and i didn't care it mm-hmm. is the is the thing about it yeah like, I, it, as a kid it didn't matter to me who wrote the songs back then. No, and I, I, I guess I I didn't think about it that way either. But now I, I really think now personally that Sting uh-huh. is a huge prick and I yeah. don't like Sting. But But you could. I mean like I st- like the first half of this record better. <laughs> he was right. He was right. Don't yeah, and, and, and if you listen to this front loaded the record. <laughs> yeah, and if you listen to this record versus Outlandis Diamore, mm-hmm. it's a better record. Yep. Uh and if you listen, sorry, close, Andy Summer. If you listen closely to, uh, if you put on a set of beats, I know that it's a like purists hate this, but get over it. Um, they're not; they're good headphones. Okay, sorry. Maybe it's not the original, whatever. But if you can hear the bass, the bass is a lot more intricate on the first half of the record. The last, he's banging away. I think you because know. he's so petulant that when yeah. he didn't completely write the song, he just bangs away. He just on the bass. banged it out. Yeah. yeah, I'm not saying he wasn't in it or wasn't dedicated. But can't to you it. see Sting from what we know now going? I wrote these amazing pop songs, and these guys fucking that was a terrible Sting. I write these amazing pop songs, and these guys don't appreciate me. So fuck it, we'll do the we'll we'll bang out a couple more, you know, post punk yeah. stuff. I mean, it's and you could say, okay, this is the beginning of the end. Right? But let me ask you this because, yeah. and I'm, obviously, we'll talk about it. But on synchronicity, I always had the impression that Andy Summers was the one that liked all the like uh, chill, more pop, like the you know the guitar. Mm-hmm. I didn't know he was the guy going. I like the first three records where we're more kind of like punk. Mm-hmm. I always thought he well, was he, the guy. He wrote Omega Man, which I really like. I like Omega Man. He also wrote. We'll talk about it on Secret. But he wrote that song Mother, which. God, that one drives me crazy. You don't like it? I don't like it. <laughs> the fr- I mean, the, the telephone is ringing. It's like the first three songs in the album buy you into the whole the whole thing. I don't care much for the jazzy rock take of Demolition Man. Well, I was going to ask you this: the horns. Okay, I know. Yeah. I like the horns on this. Did you differentiate them from the uh, Genesis? Da-da-da. Yeah, Da-da-da. yeah. I really so you, did. you like it better. Um, not so much with another record that we're going to con- talk about, okay. but 
Um, yeah, I could deal with it. There's there's bad horns and there's good ones. I just like how with horns you're always like I can either deal with it or I can't. It's deal either with it. the worst. It's thing. not like I it's like either this. The worst thing in the world, or, or I can deal. Or with I it. can deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> Henry, I don't know if you noticed this too. I got to bring this up before we move on. Um, I, obviously, I'm going to recommend this record. I think yeah. it's a great record. Um, the album cover to me, as a kid, it was like maybe the coolest album cover I'd come across in my young life because I thought I understood it Mm -hmm. because to me, it was what a ghost in the machine was like. Computers were just starting. Right. You wanted the, the t-shirt. You wanted a t-shirt really. And I think that was, I don't, do you remember this? I think this was right around the time that, that clocks on your nightstand went from those little numbers that flipped over to actual digital display. Yeah. Yeah. Like on right. watch or whatever. And so I thought a ghost in the machine had, that was a digital display supposed to tell us like the date of the album, uh-huh. but a ghost that got in there and fucked up the numbers. Cause uh-huh. it looks like it's like Chinese or some shit. Yeah. Did you look at what really is going on? What they said about the Yes, album? but tell the people. So apparently that representation is not the, not a fucked up ghost in the machine of a digital. It's an artist representation of what the three of their heads look like with their fucking hairdos. Ruined. <laughs> so the middle one is like supposed to be Sting's spiky hair. And I don't even know. I don't know. It doesn't. It's just terrible. It's a terrible idea to me. It's a really bad idea. I wish I'd never. I wish I'd never heard I, that. Right. It's supposed to. It In my mind, it's supposed to be. A ra- it's, they call that 16 segments. Yeah. You know, yeah. 16 segment characters. Yeah. And I never put together that it was a representation of the band members. It just looked like some cool shit, like and, you said. And I'll say that this now because it, you just made me think of it. I hate, and, and, and the police have been one of those bands. Maybe this is why I like that album cover song. I hate bands that always put themselves on every album cover. Like they have to be a picture of them. Every fucking police record, but this one in my mind has them on the cover. And you liked it. And now this one has them on the fucking cover. You stat now that one does too. I hate all their record covers. But it's really named after a book by a guy named Arthur Kosler. This one and the next one. Uh, about books that he wrote. This one is called The Ghost and Machine. It's about the mind-body relationship. Right. I, hey, look, I love the synchronicity color scheme. I love that whole thing. I just didn't need pictures of them mixed in with it, but we'll get to that record. This one was so cool, and then they blew it for me, Henry. Because I shouldn't have read that part. I should have just said, I know what the album cover is, and just left it at that. Thumbs up on this one. Yeah, I'm definitely a thumbs up on this one, too. What's um, next, Chris? All right, the next record we're going to talk about is our last record of the episode. <clears throat> it's by Merle Haggard. It's called Big City. This is an all-music five-star record. I hate to say I've never even heard of this fucking record. Um, <laughs> the, song, the song we're going to play has a parenthesis after it, but it's too goddamn long, so I'm just going to tell you the part that's not in parentheses. You can look it up. Um, are the good times really over? I wish a buck was still silver. It was back when the country was wrong. Back before Elvis and before the Vietnam War came along Before the Beatles and yesterday When a man could still work, still would 
best of the free life behind us now and are the good times really over for good and I will rolling downhill like a snowball headed for hell with no kind of chance for the flag or the liberty bell Wish a Ford and a Chevy would still last ten years like they should. It's the best of the free life behind us now. So Henry, I, th- I, I think I'm catching a vibe that we're going to disagree about this because um, I, I'm not a huge um, early 80s country fan, so I don't know a lot about it. But I can unequivocally say I love this record. It's in my regular rotation now of records like that I'm just listening to. It's far and away the best country record we've reviewed so far on the show. I know we haven't reviewed a lot of country records, but this one is way better. I can't believe that you have forgotten George Jones's I Am What I Am. This one's better. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I hate to tell I'm, you. I'm shocked. You're wrong. You would be, I mean, you're just that wrong. You could be so wrong about a thing. <laughs> I mean, uh, both of us, such great country aficionados we are. <laughs> I feel like that gives me a better place to come from. I'm coming to this fresh. I, I'm not, I'm not putting George and Merle up on these pedestals. I'm telling you, this is a better fucking George record. George Jones. This record squashes this Merle record. To, I'm not even see, close. The, okay. So the, tell me why. You're really clawing up this mountain. Tell me, tell me why you would think that record's better, and I will tell you why you're wrong. <laughs> well, first of, we can't do that. <laughs> All right, here's a line. Here's a line from Merle. Haggard. Oh, good. I'm, I'm, you're going lyrics before microwave ovens and a girl could cook and still would. Okay, well now that's <laughs> well, let's talk about that a second. There, okay. we, I think we do need to talk about. There are. You want to go there now? Well, no. Let, let's not do uh, that yet. Okay. I'm just saying there is some cultural. Uh, it, this record couldn't come out now. I, I agree with you on well, that. I mean, but it, yeah, it didn't. Well, I mean, that's not a reason not to but, like it. But, but what I wanted to say about sure that shit. line, I'm glad you brought that line up, is what fascinated me about this record was twofold. Um, the guy writes like you said, sa- he sounds like these throwaway lines, like you just said, mm-hmm. or like I think there was one um, about um, back when a, a Ford and a Chevy. I wish I had the line in front. I, I do have the line in front of me. Hold on. I think I know what you're going to – I think I know – When a Ford and a Chevy lasted 10 years like they should. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had all these lines in that song about remembering the good old days. What He makes it like a common – he sounds like a – if you just listen on the surface, you're like, this is just a lunkhead country guy. Mm-hmm. He's not. It, it's so hard to make what he's talking about sound colloquial. He is trying – I, I called him the working man's bard. Let me let me let me let me give you this that I didn't hear Keep with George going. Jones. You're, you're doing good. I okay. get it. Um, there's a. Right, I'm, I'm going through the songs here. The very first song on the record is really about the juxtaposition between um, fame, big city life, um, having to live in Nashville to get shit done, and this longing to be outside of that. And it's a metaphor for. Um, all the pressures that come with, with 
big city life mm-hmm. or, 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 or big time versus small time. That's a big fucking thing to tackle. And he makes it sound like he's just a dope in a bathroom going, you know, give me, give me some place out in Montana. You know, it's just like the lyrics are just kind of silly. Um, let me, let me, there's a couple other songs here. Okay. There's one song he's talking about. This song is mine. The whole song is about, you know, this is how I write. And sometimes oh that one I steal yeah, yeah. and sometimes that was pretty good I write about whatever I'm, I was very surprised and, and, and then the, the, the hook of the song one. is and guess what it's my song it's how I write it so fuck you there's another song on here um, are the good times really over which to me was just brilliant because it's so timely now we all think that way with our generation we remember that we're sitting here remembering the eighties. Uh-huh. He was sitting there remembering the '60s, talking about, but he does it in these funny, like right. country way that you're right. like, "This guy's just a My, dope." Right? Like microwave ovens were such an evil. Yes. Right. Yeah. Just yeah. all this kind it's of quaint right it, now, it, but yeah. but so I was blown but, away by that. Um, let, let me help you make your case. Okay. He wrote all the songs, or almost all. That's of them. the other thing. He wrote everything. George Jones didn't write any of those. No. No. George Jones's record was a triumph of production. And uh, and just sound right. Um, this one, like I said, I'm gonna help you make the case. Sure, I think you're doing a great job. Well, I mean, um, of authenticity. Well, also, right. Henry, for me, it's hard for me to to like. I'm not a big Bob Dylan, old Bob Dylan fan. I like newer Bob Dylan better because mm-hmm. I have trouble focusing on just lyric and lyrical content. Mm-hmm. If the music doesn't rock my world, I'm not like that big on it. I don't even, the music on here was kind of, to me, secondary. I'm listening to every, I'm hanging on every word that Merle is saying and going, how is this guy, he makes it sound like he's Johnny fucking Appleseed or or Johnny Hayseed, but he's talking about big shit. He's talking about, he's like talking about big shit that truckers can understand. Right. Larger issues that common men could, could understand. Exactly. Like if if you if you if you if you boiled down these issues and just told a trucker, I'm going to play you a song about um, the malaise of um, big time life versus small town life and the intellectual juxtaposition between the two and the rub and how it bothers you. Mm-hmm. He'd be like, "Why don't you go fuck yourself, man? I want to listen to Merle Haggard." <laughs> you are listening to Merle Haggard, and that's what it's about, bitch. <laughs> I okay, just, well, I mean that's a very well put. Um, I, I thought it was great. I was I, shocked. I really it, that I, that whole thing didn't occur to me really. Um, but I, I didn't turn the record off. I, I don't know that it hit me as hard as it hit you. Right. I just um, I noticed the horns. Thought, you know. I mean, I was really bummed out when he got li- to that song. That wasn't the only song that's not his. It's the traditional like. Yeah. Uh, um, fiddle song. Mm-hmm. I don't know why he put that on there at the end. Yeah, and he even says right when he starts it, like, "Here's that Texas fiddle song, y'all want it or something." You know, and I'm like, yeah. nobody... I wonder how old he was. This is his thirty third album. Okay, well, that was For another God. funny thing. Like that line he has in that one song says, "I wish Coke was still cola and the joint was a bad place to be." This dude was a heavy fucking coke user. I didn't even pick up on this. This guy is he like... He went way deep. Yeah, I was into it. This Good guy man. was like the Marvin Gaye of, of country music. He was doing so much coke. I even think I texted you a line where I said something. We were both listening at yeah. the same day. Yeah. 
And you, I, I said it was a Merle Haggard morning. A Merle Haggard morning, yeah. <laughs> and you said something about you like that song Big City or, did, or something. I and I said, I yeah, well, I wonder where Merle was going to score all his coke once he gets <laughs> set free out in the middle of Montana. Because that was the whole gist of the song. He wants to go to Montana, get away from Nashville. And I'm like, how do you get coke out? Yeah, oh, so, I mean, uh, we, I think, uh, we sometimes color Merle Haggard with this sort of right-wing brush, I guess. But yeah, I, do, I, th- I think you brought you you said this to me uh, before the episode though. There, there's a difference in a right wing guy then and a right wing guy now. Somehow, yeah, like they've been the right wing guys then. Maybe we've been more radicalized now, <laughs> right? To where I long for the days when this was this was the guy that I have to you know that I'd like to squabble with. Right? He's a he's pro worker. Yeah. Right. And uh, and somehow yeah. that was right wing then, and now it's. I don't know. It's 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 weird. All of that was going through my head, so I was like, I can't believe. I'm well, gonna... I'm going to give this another listen through those lenses. Yeah, it's um, a good point of view. I really hadn't thought about it. I just kind of let it flow, you know. Right. Well, I'm going to definitely, obviously, recommend it. Um, I thought it was great. And uh, here's another hard thing I wanted to ask you about, Henry. Uh, mm-hmm. What your thoughts are? I was thinking I can't put this in '80s canon because uh, no. But wait a minute. How do I know what is canon for country people? There's people that didn't listen to rock or pop yeah, at all in the 80s. I mean, I have to beg forgiveness for even trying to review country <laughs> records because I have no – I I feel bad. I know this – the George Jones record was kick-ass. Well, but, 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 don't, but there might be people but, that are like, this record was like their Purple Rain. Right. But then how do you take – what I need to do is listen to the worst Merle Haggard record. And listen to well, there's this a one. lot of them. And listen to this one. Yeah, you I know? think he was a master by then. You said 33 record, right? 33rd, uh, pretty I, good record for be high as balls too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to call this canon, but I'm going to say you should listen to this record. It's good. That's awesome. At this point, let's pivot over to Megan and see what she thinks. I hope she likes Merle Haggard. everyone, it's Megan here with 80s Music Exposed and uh, your millennial segment. We've got October 1981 Part 1 up on the docket tonight because, you know, we've had a lot of two-part episodes because there's just been so many great albums to talk about. This one, we've got uh, The Police, Prince, Human League, Merle Haggard, Jay Giles Band, all pretty solid, although the Jay Giles Band... Um, I, I never really got super into them. I remember when I was in middle school or high school in the marching band, we played freeze frame for whatever reason during like breaks and basketball games. So that's really my biggest memory of the Jay Giles band. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. I, I'm pretty sure it's like that. But anyway, so Dare by the Human League. This album, um, it's their third one, actually, and it was definitely their huge like commercial breakthrough uh, because of the song Don't You Want Me, which I think pretty much everyone recognizes, even if they don't know about the Human League. I would even consider it one of like the quintessential 80s new wave songs, even though I'd be fine personally uh, with never hearing it again, just because it's so overplayed and it's on like every 80s new wave synth pop compilation. And I think that they have better songs. Um, most people probably consider them a one-hit wonder because of that song. Even though they did have like other moderately successful hits, 
artists uh, actually like off this album, Love Action, and then later on the more ballad like Human, which I love that song. That's probably my favorite Human League song. And Philip Oakley, the frontman of Human League, he did a song for a soundtrack, and I think actually later on a whole album with Giorgio Morador. I think the album was released in 1984. And I really recommend it. I feel like it's kind of been forgotten over the years. So I suggest checking it out, especially if you're into uh, Giorgio. Now, Prince, Controversy. I fucking love this album, especially the title track. I still hear it quite often when I go dancing in Detroit, which is awesome because it's so much fun to dance to. This album obviously is just oozing sex because Prince just kind of oozed sex. And the previous album, Dirty Mind, released in 1980, was kind of like, I mean, that was just as sexy of an album. So he was continuing that trend. And like a lot of Prince's work, this album is still funky and like fresh sounding as ever. I think he pretty much did everything on the album, um, including like playing almost all of the instruments. It just blows my mind how talented he was. Um, he's one of those people, like there will never be another Prince uh, which is unfortunate because he's not with us anymore. But at least we have like albums like this to remember him by. Just to mention The Police, because I do love The Police, Ghost in the Machine isn't one of my favorite albums by them, uh, but of course it's still solid because they were a really great band, really great songwriters, and just great musicians. It's funny, I was talking to my dad about The Police once, and I remember him mentioning that when he first heard them, he thought it was an African-American group because of uh, the reggae influences, obviously. Which, I mean, maybe it's because I know that they're white. It just made me laugh just because you know, they were like three super white dudes from England. So to think that they were African-American, it's just, it, it made me chuckle. Anyway, so just a fun little update for you guys in our next episode, uh, the October 1981 part two, uh, we got kind of a new format, um, specifically for my segment and, uh, Chris Henry and I will actually be able to speak together live, uh, which is super awesome. We think it'll really add the show and I enjoy actually being able to talk uh, to Henry and Chris about music. So it should be fun. We hope you like it. Definitely let us know what you think. Um, you can catch us on all of the social medias. Um, we're on Instagram at 80s374, at 80s Exposed on Twitter. And then if you search 80s Music Exposed on Facebook and Patreon, you can find us there as well. Um, if you would like to contribute monetarily to the show, Patreon probably is the best way of doing that. And we would really appreciate it. Uh, if you would prefer not to uh, donate monetarily, just rate and review us on Spotify, subscribe to us. Um, we definitely uh, we love hearing from you guys and we love having you as listeners. If you'd like to follow me, um, I also have my own personal social media accounts. I'm at Bastards of Young 92 on Instagram and then Megan Maddox on Facebook. So thank you again so much for listening and I'll talk to you guys later. All right, Henry, so we need to give our – this is a hard month to give your record of the month because I, I think I'm recommending three, but what, what is your record of the month? My record of the month, uh, my pick, I always tend to go for the thing that surprises me the most. Mm -hmm. I like the surprises. I didn't have a hell of a lot of surprises this month.
Like okay. I had pre-existing like ideas. Right. You um, love freeze frame, and you got to go. No, I'm not going to go <laughs> freeze frame. <laughs> I'm going to go with Prince's controversy because the most surprising thing about the record was um, that that he had like art rock all over it. <laughs> I really didn't expect that. I, I had not listened to the entirety of Prince's record from beginning to end. I'd caught snippets of his career and stuff had played like the first half of a record might've played somewhere where I was. But, um, after I heard Annie Christian, I'm like, man, that, that's worth a second listen. So, uh, Prince's controversy for me. Yeah. And I, I, I hate to be, I hate to always pick like the big record, but for me, the criteria for this segment is always if if you're our listener and you don't have time, you're busy, and you only have time to listen to one record from each month, which record should you listen to? And for me, it's Ghost in the Machine. To me, it's it, it, it's the one you should listen to. Now, I love Big City and I love Controversy, but if you only got time for one and you've never heard Ghost in the Machine, if you haven't heard Ghost in the Machine, I don't know why you're listening yeah, to Yeah, well, we're but, in a freaking cave. Yeah, but fucking listen to Ghost in the Machine right now. And... um yeah, so that's this was a great episode, Henry. Yeah, man. I really enjoyed it. I did, too. Many thanks to our show producer, Greg Levin. If you like the way we sound, you can talk to him. He's at Urban Dweller, U-R-B-N-D-W-E-L-L-R on Instagram or at NBC Greg on Twitter. We're very thankful to have him on our team. And many thanks to Megan Maddox, our social media maven. I nailed it that time. Yeah, so if you want yes. to start a social media argument with us, you'll probably be arguing with her. Awesome. And live from Charlotte, North Carolina, Chris, guess what? What's that? I made you a mixtape. <laughs>